This Sunday, actually, we're going to start a series. It's only going to last two weeks. It's called um, Dark, and it's a, we're going to look at some stories uh, where people in the Bible found themselves in the dark, and uh, it relates to us. They were literally in the dark, but, you know, sometimes we find ourselves in the dark. We're not really sure what to do next, and uh, maybe we're going through a time that feels dark in our lives. So uh, there'll be some ways that, that we can apply some of the things that we're going to look at. And uh, the first story that we're going to look at this morning is the story of Jacob. Jacob was in his tent. It was dark. And he was awakened out of a sound sleep. And he thought he heard a noise. Now, every one of us have been there. You've been sound asleep in your bed, middle of the night, early hours of the morning, and you just bolt upright you can swear you heard a noise in the house. And you're sitting there in bed and your heart's pounding and you're trying to figure out, did you really hear something or was that your imagination? And then you start praying. Dear God, please let it be my imagination. Dear God, if you'll let that be my imagination, I swear I will never watch another paranormal movie. Night is like a great magnifying glass. It enlarges all our uncertainties, our guilt, our worries, and our fears. But the, the story of, uh, of Jacob, let's, let's, let's go back a little bit. It really doesn't start there. It starts when he was a young man. Um, and, and Jacob was, you know, he, he was just a conniver. And he ended up trading his brother Esau out of his uh, birthright. And then a little later on, he ended up actually tricking Esau and his blind father to steal Esau's blessing. And I can only imagine how many other things of Esau's Jacob must have ended up with through the years. But that was the final straw. And uh, their father was very uh, sick, and Esau told Jacob, or he let it be known, that when, when the father died, he said, I'm going to kill Jacob. And so Jacob thought this would be a good time to get out of Dodge, and so he left. And while he was on the run, God appeared to him in a dream, and God told Jacob that he would be with him. As a matter of fact, God told Jacob that he was going to fulfill in Jacob's life the promise he had made to Jacob's grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac, and that, that God was going to continue to fulfill that promise through Jacob. And then Jacob met Rachel which was one of the best things that ever happened to him. And she became his wife. Unfortunately, at the same time, he met Rachel's father, Laban, which is one of the worst things that happened to him. Uh, because as it turns out, Laban was a bigger grifter and crook than Jacob. And so while Jacob was living there with Laban, he, God blessed him. He kept his promise to him. Um, he started completing what he started in him. And so then Jacob was making his way back to the land he came from, back to his home, back to the land that God had promised to his grandfather Abraham. Jacob left without so much as a pillow, but he came home with this large family and great wealth. There was just one problem. He hadn't spoken to his brother Esau in about 20 years. And he had no idea whether Esau was still holding a grudge or whether he had just moved on. And so uh, let me read part of the story to you. This is in Genesis chapter 32. 
Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I've been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I'm sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. And when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau and now he's coming to meet you with 400 men with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups and the flocks and the herds and the camels as well. And he thought, if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. So, so Esau wasn't, Jacob wasn't sure what, how Esau felt about him coming home. So he sent these messengers and they came back and they said, oh, Esau knows you're coming. As a matter of fact, he's coming to meet you. He has 400 men with him. Well, that didn't sound like a welcoming party to Jacob. And so uh, he was, uh, the, you know, the Bible says he was in great fear and distress. In other words, he was scared to death. And Jacob did what most of us do when we're scared to death. He prayed. And, and this is his prayer. It starts down in verse 9. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed the Jordan, but now I've become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper, and I will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. So <laughs> Jacob prayed, and I, I really like his prayer. He, he actually said, um, go back to your own country, you said. <laughs> go back to your relatives, you said. I will take care of you, you said. So now I've done all these things. And my brother is going to kill me. So, God, will you please save me and spare my family? And then he came up with another plan. He decided instead of dividing them into two groups, that he would divide them into much smaller groups. And he would send like the cattle, like he would send a small group of sheep and then a small group of oxen. And he would just keep sending wave after wave of these gifts to Esau, hopefully to soften him up so that by the time Esau got to them, he would be in a better mood. And then this is what happened. I want to read this last section. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives and his two female servants and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go for it's daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. 
because you have struggled with God and with humans and you have overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you need my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Penel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. And the sun rose above them as he passed Penel and he was limping because of his hip. So Jacob sent everybody across the river and he stayed on the other side by himself in the tent. Last time God spoke to Jacob in a dream. This time it would be no dream. So Jacob, you think he might have a hard time going to sleep, but he didn't. He went to sleep and then he sat straight up because he heard something in the tent. His heart started racing. He reached over and grabbed his three iron that he kept right there. A three iron, because as you golfers know, it's too hard to hit anything with a one iron. So uh, he had that ready to go. And um, his worst fear came true. While he was laying there trying to figure out, is this my imagination or did I really hear something? Somebody jumped on him in the dark. And now he finds himself engaged in this, this wrestling match with somebody, so he doesn't even know who it is, wrestling around in the dark. He had no idea who was attacking him. And we aren't really sure either because the Bible's not really clear about it. Um, I think it's interesting. One commentator said that, you know, when Jacob left home to begin with, he slipped out in the middle of the night. And when Jacob left Laban to come back home, he slipped, he sneaked out in the middle of the night. Uh, so somebody suggested maybe this was an angel that God sent to make sure Jacob didn't sneak out in the middle of the night again. Um, it, I'm sure Jacob thought it was Esau. He wondered, is this, is this Esau? Because he was afraid Esau wanted to kill him. And, and now here he was, apparently still intent on killing Jacob. Jacob didn't know who his attacker was. All he knew was he was fighting for his life. And this battle lasted all night long. And Jacob was able to hold his own against whoever this foe was. Not a word was spoken all night. Just two people locked together in combat, wrestling and fighting. And then as it approached dawn, the stranger finally spoke. And he said, let me go for it's daybreak. And a lot of people wonder, why did this stranger have to leave before daybreak, before Jacob could see him? You know, what, what would happen if the sun came up and he was still there? But I believe that he did this for Jacob's sake. Because the scripture says that no one can see the face of God and live. Maybe Jacob was the one in danger, not, not the one he was wrestling with. And Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. <laughs> now, you got to admire Jacob. He is pretty bold when it comes to getting a blessing. And so he demands this blessing before he lets him go. And, and the person he's fighting with says, the stranger says, what is your name? And he says, Jacob. And then this interesting thing happens. And this is why I believe the stranger in the tent that night was not a man. It was not an angel. It was God. Because he said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. 
And from here on out, Jacob is known as Israel. This is the turning point where this family that God chose of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob now becomes Israel. It now becomes God's nation. It's not just a family, but now it's Israel. And uh, during this, this fight, this conflict, somehow Jacob's hip is wrenched or twisted. And then the stranger disappeared. And the sun came up. And Jacob limped out of his tent. And Jacob limped for the rest of his life. Now there are a lot of, uh, you know, the story continues. And so Jacob did end up meeting Esau. And Esau ran to him and, and, the, and grabbed him and hugged him and wept and forgave him and welcomed him home. And uh, it's, the, the story is, is so moving that when you read it, Jesus actually used almost the exact same words when he described the parable of the prodigal son whose father ran out to meet him and embrace him when he finally came home. Um, and, and so, you know, he finally gets things right with God. He finally gets things right with his brother uh, because those two things go hand in hand. Now, now there's several things about the story that intersect with our lives. The first one is to notice the connection between Jacob getting things right with God and getting things right with Esau. Uh, the entire story of Jacob is about getting things right with God and getting things right with his brother Esau. And, you know, Jesus told us the same thing. He said, if you're at church worshiping God and you realize, you remember there's, some, you have some, someone, there's something conflict with you and, and someone else, then leave and go and try your best to work it out. And then John reminded us that if we can't love our brother who we can see, how can we love God who we cannot see? And I'm not going to belabor the point, but the Bible just makes this point throughout, that, that we cannot love God unless we're willing also to try to love our brothers and our sisters. That loving God means loving those around us. And it's impossible to have the kind of relationship with God that we, that we want to have if we, if we aren't trying to have that kind of relationship with others. So, um, you know, it's not either or, it's, it's both and. And so whenever our theology gives us an excuse to not love somebody, then we need to seriously rethink our theology. But the part of the story that intrigues me most is the limp. Jacob wrestled with God, and he walked away with a blessing, but he also walked away with a limp. And that image speaks volumes to me. Because in a day of celebrity pastors and court prophets and a national religion that promises simple, unexamined answers to every scientific and social problem, it seems to me we've replaced our limp with a strut. We accept easy answers. There's no struggle to pursue the truth. We just believe what we want. And we do what we want, and then we assume God agrees with us. But the casual pursuit of faith will not change your life. But when we really wrestle with things, when we wrestle with God himself, we end up with a new life. And, and at some point, 
We have to move past this easy acceptance and engage in actual soul searching to figure out who God is and who we are. It's not as easy as come down front and say a prayer. And when we meet with God, it is an incredible blessing. But it's also painful because it changes us. It changes the way we think. It changes the way we, we look at life. And we have to give up some old ways of living. So really knowing God is a blessing, but there's also a limp. And, and I don't know for sure what it means to walk with a limp, but I think it means at least the following. It means that our faith is more than a casual pursuit that we wrestle with what we think and, and what the Bible says. And when things are complicated and confusing, we, we wrestle with those things. We make the effort to have a faith that's examined and that's intelligent. It means when we see people living in ways that we believe are outside God's will for them, instead of condemning them and, and judging them, we feel compassion for them because they're missing out on the love that God has for them. And we have a faith that is intelligent and compassionate. And it means that when we say God loves us, instead of making us prideful, it makes us humble. And so we realize that if God loves us, then he loves everybody else just as much. And it means we diligently pursue the truth. We don't just accept what we've been told or lazily say, well, it's just hard to know what the truth is these days. It's always been hard. People just had the courage to search for it anyway. And even Jesus, after the resurrection, he walked on feet that had scars on them. He broke the bread and gave to his disciples with hands that had scars on them. Jesus' time on earth brought him great glory. And it also brought him deep scars. And, you know, people that I know who seem to be close to God, they understand things like love and grace and forgiveness and compassion, but they also seem to understand hurt and pain and sacrifice, and somehow it all goes together. I will never forget, an old pastor told me one time, I never trust a preacher who doesn't limp. And he was referring to the story of Jacob. I think he meant that people who've really been with God seem to have an understanding about hurt and about pain that other people go through. They realize that life isn't about them. And somehow the blessing and the limp go together. You know, Paul had some kind of uh, thorn in the flesh, he called it, that served as his limp. Frederick Buechner calls this story of Jacob the magnificent defeat because even though Jacob lost the wrestling match, he won the blessing and became Israel, became the father of a great nation. And then he walked away with a limp. <laughs> it is not until we lose our lives for God that we truly find them. Henry Nouwen said all of us are just wounded healers. Because of our own scars, God uses us to help others. And so when I read that story, it reminded me of what I really want for myself and what I really want for you.
I want a faith that is deep. A faith that is real. A faith that is not satisfied with easy answers. But a faith that is willing to wrestle with God over the things we don't understand. A faith that doesn't allow me to care more about myself than others. And when we wrestle with God, we discover the truth about God. And we discover the truth about ourselves. And when we're willing to get real with God and really want to have a faith that is sincere and strong and deep, there will be a great blessing in that relationship but we will also walk away with a limp. Amen.